Today's scripture is from Acts 8, 26 through 40, and that is on page 917 in the Bible in the pew in front of you. I'll give you a second to flip to that. Once again, that is Acts 8, 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran over to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Thank you, Turtle. Appreciate that. That's good. Good morning, church. It's good to be gathered together again today. Oh, I've got the stand with the tape stopper on it. How dare you? That's got to be up here. Okay. All right, just roll with it. It's that kind of day. This week, John and I were in Portland, barely Portland, like right across, it doesn't even count, it's the island that Jansen Beach sits on right across the Columbia River with 300 other pastors and leaders from our field. It's our annual field forum. Our field is large. In fact, it's the largest of our fields in the Alliance, in the Alliance U.S., because we have Alaska. I think Alaska alone would be the largest geographical field. Not the largest by number of churches, but largest geographically. So we had pastors flying down from Alaska, driving over from the northern part of Idaho, and then all of Washington and all of Oregon. I think there's about 108 churches represented, bringing uh, extended staff and uh, even up coming emerging leaders. That was kind of the focus of, of this week. We look forward to it, a chance to reconnect, a chance to hear the work that's happening in our field. And that was a shift that was made. I know it's terminology, but I love it. That It used to be district. That feels like too much like war times, like Hunger Games or something. But uh, we are 
we are a field because God has planted us here. See, internationally in the alliance, we are about 13 or 14 times larger than we are in the U.S., uh, 7, 8 million strong believers around the world. Well, every, every nation that we are in is a field, and they have a, an annual field forum. And so our leadership adopted that about six years ago uh, to say we are we are too a field. We are a field that God has planted us in. This is our Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and we are called here. He has planted us, and He's called us to a harvest. And the theme this year was really one word. It was call. One word, twofold. On one hand, we're reminded of the one call that we all have in Christ. We have a unity in Christ. We've responded to Him to believe, to trust, and to follow Him. Secondly, we are always to be looking for His leading, His call. Is He calling into new fields? Is He calling us to new opportunities? And maybe it's across the street, and maybe it's to a specific individual. And so we were both inspired and encouraged along that call. When God calls, do we go? Do we simply say yes? Are we even listening? If we are listening, seeking to hear God's voice in our life, and if we begin to discern that He is in fact speaking, what happens when that leading is not at all what we had thought? Not at all a trajectory that we thought our life was on? What if the leading is less than conventional wisdom? What if in fact it makes very little earthly sense? Do we still go? Do we still say yes? Faith-filled risk does not often seem to follow conventional wisdom. And that's the way I want us to enter into this story that we heard read. It's not the only way to enter. In fact, I think that most preachers would take it from the angle of evangelism. Look at Philip. Philip so faithful. Philip who clearly knows his word. Philip who's able to preach the gospel from every page of the Scriptures. The only Scriptures they had in those days were the Old Testament. They didn't call it that because it was God's holy word. The New, New Testament, the New Covenant in Christ was still being written. Right? Philip's living it out. But Philip goes, he preaches, he takes this this man, this Ethiopian who was on his own spiritual journey but had no understanding, and he leads him to faith in Jesus in a radical way. How could an ordinary deacon in the church do such extraordinary things, becoming one of the greatest evangelists that the early church ever knew? Those are all powerful themes. They're all good themes. In fact, next week I intend to preach from some of those angles, to enter into the story as a eunuch and to exit it as an evangelist. So you've been warned. But today, I want us to enter into this story from a slightly different angle, to focus on the theme of responding to God's call. It's a major theme not only here, but throughout Scripture, and it should be a major theme in our own lives and for one of our families in our midst, it's their current reality. How do we respond to the call of God? And let me clarify that just a little bit further, or 
re-emphasize that. What do I mean by call? Just like at our field forum, it's at least twofold. The one call. And I think maybe the best place to summarize this in Scripture is way back in Deuteronomy. It was the Shema for the Jewish people. The call to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. The one call that we all share is a call to love the holy, the one and only God. The creator of all things. Who continues to love and to pursue his people. Now there's many other expressions of that call. There's a few that came, came to mind. We all share these as well. From Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him. He will make your path straight. There's a call to all who would come to God and trust Him. Be holy because I am holy, says the Lord God Almighty. A repeated refrain, a repeated call throughout Scripture. Jesus would come and clarify the call to follow God. He said, come and follow Me. I will make you fishers of men. He said, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I've needed that one this week and in the past weeks. Maybe some of you have also. The call to go and to make disciples of all nations. To do what Philip did, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to teach them everything I have commanded. The call right here from Acts chapter 1 that we've been referring to again and again. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit will come upon you in power. These are just expressions of the call, and that's not by any means an exhaustive list. The commands of God the commissions of God, and depending on how we interact with them, the invitation of God. Now, a slightly different call. So we all share that call, but a slightly different call we might see here expressed in Philip and his response. You might call it divine guidance, for lack of a better term. It's a phrase that's used in the Alliance often. That God is still living and active and He is still leading His people. Guiding His people. Calling His people. Not to the one call to trust and to follow, but to the more specific in in the moments. How do we hear God's voice, discern it, and know if we're to step out in faith to, to change courses, to change the direction of our life or our family. Discerning the will of God for a specific time or specific season. How do we do that, especially when it is unclear We're sensing God's leading and guiding, but it's unclear exactly what He's calling to. It's unclear what what sacrifice that will require. It's unclear why He would call us from somewhere to something else. How do we walk in obedience? How do we walk with faith, even if it's filled with risk? Which seems to be always the case. Can it be faith if it's not filled with some risk? some sacrifice, some uncertainty. Paul teaches us to keep in step with the Spirit, to walk with Him, 
And that's exactly what we see Philip doing. I preached on this theme, I guess I used some different words, but a few weeks ago, the response to God's opportunities. Oftentimes, that's how we look back in our life and see the way He has led us. We say, that, that, that wasn't an incredible amount of faith, it was just small steps of faith many times over. God provided an opportunity, and I said yes. That's a simple way of saying it, I bet many of you would have that story. Now, in the midst of that one decision, there may have been sleepless nights or angst and many prayers. There may have been seeking counsel and wisdom from friends or others, digging into God's Word, just looking for confirmation. But you said yes, and God blessed. God moved. God directed. And that becomes the storyline of your life. Praise God for that. Saying yes to the opportunities, the invitations to walk with Him and to be moved by Him. Philip shows us how not to trust in conventional wisdom, but to trust the Holy Spirit. Philip followed the logos, not logic. We begin this passage in verse 26. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Gaza has been in the news in recent years, hasn't it? This is the desert place. And he rose and went. Man, there is so much here that we are not told. And that's Scripture, isn't it? We were reminded of it this morning in prayer. God's Word, the Scriptures, give us all that we need to know, but not all that we want to know. Tell me more about this, Philip, and one day we get to ask. What was it like to, to see that? Did you see the angel? It says an angel said to him. Maybe he didn't even see. Many other times in Scripture it says clearly an angel appeared before them, often accompanied by bright light. Was that even the case here? Go to a desert place. Philip, what was your natural first response to that call, to that leading? All we're told is you rose and you went. Was it that easy? Let that soak in for a moment. Now the angel part is pretty extraordinary and I think many of us as we try to enter into the scriptures would say, well yeah, if an angel would show up and appear to me and tell me what to do next, man, that would be so much easier. Would it? The things that I see the angels asking of God's people to believe and to trust are, are anything but easy. Was it easy for Mary? You say, which, which Mary? Exactly. Was it easy for Abraham? For Sarah? Sarah literally LOL'd. <laughs> it seems that angels often ask God's people very difficult things. Extraordinary beings asking extraordinary things, requiring extraordinary faith. But an angel appearing in this story to Philip is not the most extraordinary thing. It's Philip's response to the call of God. Admittedly, this can't be a sermon on how God speaks. The different ways He might bring His Word, His leading, His message. 
for he is not limited. It's really a whole series of sermons, if not a whole pursuit of our life. To hear God's voice and respond to it, to know what he sounds like when he speaks, it's not always audible. How can you be certain? How can you be sure? That's our journey of knowing the Spirit and hearing God's leading and walking in faith and obedience. I'll give a plug for the men's group that meets on Tuesdays at 6.30. That's a major theme. How do we know God's Word and His will and how do we respond to that in faith? We're working that out together. So men, I invite you, if that's of any interest to you, then it might be worth setting an alarm at 5.45 or 6 a.m. What's awesome now is the sun is up when that alarm goes off, so you're not up ahead, ahead of the sun, which does help me, I know that. This is a sermon not about all the ways God speaks and how to hear Him and how to discern that. This is a sermon about responding to God's Word when He leads. As we've been praying, as we seek Him, as we discern that, yes, in fact, it is God's Word, or I'm getting close to 100% sure it's God's Word, so I'm going to step in faith, and Lord, stop me if it's not. How do we do that? How do we live in obedience? How do we live as Philip shows us in a powerful way? Especially when it seems to make very little logical sense or conventional wisdom. When the why, Lord, questions just start to flow. Why would you call me there, Lord? In fact, we might even say, you wouldn't call me there, would you, Lord? Not to a desert place. You wouldn't call me to leave a lucrative career to move across the world to serve impoverished people living in relative poverty myself. You wouldn't Call me there, would you, Lord? Pray for the Daltons as they continue that obedience to that call. Just when we've built our entire life around this idea of a sustainable farm to bless a community, and God, you've poured out in abundance in this place. You've created an oasis just outside of a Massive urban center. A place of refuge. A place of blessing. Just when you seem to be pouring out your faithfulness, you wouldn't call us to sell it all, to give it all to the poor. And to move to Zimbabwe and plant a new farm sowing seeds of the Gospel for an eternal harvest. You wouldn't do that, would you, Lord? Pray for the Smith family as they are on that adventure, stepping out in faith with so much uncertainty that remains. If you're new to our community and you don't know those families or those stories, I would love to connect you more. Some of them can be found online on our website, but so much can be found through connecting with them in other ways. I encourage you to do that. You wouldn't call me to the desert, would you, Lord? As Jesus began his ministry, the Holy Spirit led him into the desert and asked him to remain for 40 days. Do you remember that the word of the Lord came to Jonah too? And he got up and ran in the other direction. 
Here we see Philip contrasted to Jonah. He arises and goes into the desert. Let me remind you what had just taken place. There was persecution that came because of the ongoing preaching of Jesus as Messiah. So the early church was being faithful to that message. God was blessing and expanding the church. Tens of thousands of people have now come to believe in Jesus the Messiah and are continuing to proclaim the good news of Him. Persecution comes from the Jewish leaders, really under the approval and power of Saul, who God will track down here in just a moment. But there's a scattering that takes place. A dispersion takes place. They leave for safety out of Jerusalem and they go maybe wherever they can go to find refuge. Maybe it's extended family or friends they're going to live with for a time. But as they go, they are preaching the gospel. So the persecution is like wind to the seeds. Think about that, those, those dandelions that are just starting to grow and quickly turn into seed spores and the wind comes and scatters. The persecution did the same thing for the church. The seeds are scattering. And Philip is one of those. And he's willing to go to Samaria. One of the least likely places. We're not told anyone else goes with him. But he goes in faith, maybe remembering God's call from Acts 1.8, that you will be my witnesses, even in Samaria. But look at the beginning of Acts chapter 8, 8, 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. And unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Verse 8, so there was much joy in that city. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. This is what was happening. Philip has been walking in faith in the power of the Spirit and he's seen a harvest. Jesus is fulfilling the promise of Acts 1.8. And not just Acts 1.8, but John 4.35, which we read last week. While Jesus was sitting at a well in Samaria... He told the disciples to lift up your eyes. John 4.35 Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and you will see that the fields are white for the harvest. And I'm sure they looked up and saw nothing. Just like God could call us and say, look at this region. It is white for the harvest. It is ripe. And we might look and say, I see nothing. Philip was reaping a harvest, the fulfillment of the promise. God was blessing His faithfulness richly. This is, this is like a church planter's fantasy. You follow the call of God in obedience, however He led and moved, and you go out and step out in faith. You come into a new city with nobody and nothing, and you put up a sign essentially that says, come and meet Jesus. And people come in droves. And if that were to ever happen, you don't leave town the next day. Unless God says, go. But God wouldn't say go, because clearly He wants you there. Look at around you what is taking place. He wouldn't call you from the many to the one man. He wouldn't call you to leave the 99 to go 
to the one. Oh. And if you follow the rest of this story, and maybe I'll get into this more next week, it seems that Philip never returns to Samaria. He moves on from there to Caesarea, and that's where we find him later in the book of Acts. Again, we're not told, we can't deduce too much from just silence in Scripture, but God has moved him on to new fields. Never to return to a place where he was finding the greatest amount of fruit and harvest for the gospel. Why would God do that? How could God do that? The prophet Isaiah teaches us something pretty remarkable that we're still trying to come to learn, aren't we? Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. God speaks, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. When God calls us and it makes little earthly sense, we often respond by telling God that He doesn't quite know what He's doing. We would never be so bold, would we? But it comes out in our prayers. It comes out in our lack of responsiveness to Him. It comes out in our bartering with Him. But God, don't you see? It's the clay telling the potter how He should form us. For what form of use? You remember when Job wrestled with the Lord, and rightly so, ultimately gave honor to the Lord, but began to question Him. Very same things that we would and have asked of the Lord. Why, Lord? How could this be, Lord? This isn't Your will, is it, Lord? What was God's loving response to Job? Chapter 38, verse 4 and following. God says to Job, after Job's questioning of him, so, so Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. You think God can't be sarcastic? Who, who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? And when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And he goes on from there. You almost can just see Job kind of getting smaller and smaller and crouching. I I take it back, Lord. Ultimately, he emerges in faithfulness and trust and worship. But he walks that journey. Just like Philip walked. We're not told that Philip didn't wrestle with this call to go. Didn't, we're not told that he didn't question, that he didn't have a sleepless night of prayer. But he emerges in a place of faith-filled risk, going in response to God's leading. You know, it strikes me that one of the main reasons we might continue to feel lost in life, this goes back to last week, though Jesus has loved and pursued us and saved us and rescued us, Many would continue to give a testimony of their life, or at least at moments of their life, saying, I I feel lost still. I feel aimless. I feel like I'm wandering. I feel like I don't even know what to do next. 
it strikes me that perhaps one of the reasons we may feel that way is that we've actually said no when God has said go. And, and we've justified it because God wouldn't call me there. He has me on, on this path, on this trajectory. In fact, th- there's blessing here. I see it. That's not saying it's not blessing from the Lord. But it's not contrary to His uprooting and His moving. We need to discern His voice and respond to His call. And if you're one who feels in a place aimless, wandering, unsettled, uncertain, pray as there a moment that you have said no to God's leading, to step out in faith. Now two things. One, if it's not too late to go back and to say yes, then that becomes a part of your story that God redeems. Grace and mercy is abundant. And you get to give that testimony of how you learned to hear and discern God's call and how He gave you that chance in grace to go when you had first said no. Second, if something comes to mind and it's too late to say yes, grace and mercy is abundant and God's redemption is still true. So you ask for forgiveness. Lord, I missed that. I missed that opportunity. I missed that leading. Now you have me here. Do your work in me, Lord, I pray. Teach me to hear and respond next time you call, next time you invite. And I guess third, I said two, but what's coming to mind now is nothing readily comes to mind. I'm not, I'm not encouraging you to just dig and wrestle and ask, Lord, how many times have I missed you? How many times have I not listened? That could crush you. We're in the process of a journey. So you say, Lord, just bring to mind, help me see, I don't want to miss anything, that I might respond, that I might be exactly in the center of your will. Show me how to do that, Lord. Teach me now. I am here today, and it's not a surprise that I'm here today. You have been with me every step of the way. And it strikes me that it's possible that we have not heard God's voice or discerned it because we're not in His Word. With all the voices that bombard us in this world, no wonder it's easy to forget what God's voice sounds like. We need to be in His Word daily to hear His voice. So when He speaks and leads and reveals in other ways, it resonates. It's like a tone that's in tune. It's in harmony. And also, if we're not in God's Word, I think we're going to forget easily that God seems to call His people to the most significant work in ways that they never imagined. In ways that they easily could have said, God, that makes no sense. I'm not going. And maybe they never end up in Scripture. Maybe He calls us all that way. I made a list of just this morning of... of, of I reviewed. The, I made a list this week and this morning was reviewing this list of people that God has called to something they could not have been aware of. 
This, these are who came to mind. I think I'm missing some people. Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Gideon, David, Daniel, Nehemiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jonah, Mary, Jesus, the disciples, Philip. And soon we'll see Paul. What if God calls us to something that not only defies conventional wisdom, but is also scary? Of course it will be. That's what faith-filled risk looks like. What's scarier is knowing that you've said no to God's call. And I'll never forget, I think one of the most powerful lessons that I've learned from Bob and Bobby Reed. Bobby, I think it was you that shared this. As we were hearing your story of your call, of responding to God's call to move, move your family halfway across the world to serve the lost in Vietnam. And in the midst of that, as war came to that country and the Viet Cong were on the move, you had a bag packed at the back door so if they came through the front, you could at least have something on the way out. You should hear more of the story of God's provision and His rescue. And, and I remember Catherine saying, weren't you scared? And you can correct me, Bobby, but something I'll paraphrase. Well, well, yes, but no. Because God had called us. And we were in the center of His will. What would have been scarier is if we had stayed home. If we had said no to God's call. So thank you, Bobby, for your faithfulness continues to teach and to inspire. And so hear me, church. God doesn't always call to safer, to more abundance, or to easier. But He always calls to better. Because it's what we need and it's ways He wants to use us for more of His glory. And that means leaving a harvest to go into the desert at times. That means walking in faith when the the full picture is still not certain, though God's voice has become clear. When God calls from a good place to a seemingly hard place, So Philip listened to God and found himself alone in the desert. From a harvest, the richness of God's blessing, signs and wonders that God was doing in and through him and the power of the Spirit, to alone in the desert. That's not a good trade in earthly economy. It doesn't even seem like a good trade in kingdom economy. And we're not told, here's more of this story that we're not told, how long he was in that desert place waiting before God made clear what his assignment was, what his purpose was. Was it moments? Hours? Days? Those must have been exciting times. Lord, why? My eyes are open. Where are you leading? What are you doing? But Philip was not alone. The Spirit was with him. And the Spirit then directs him to his purpose. To a lone chariot on the road. 
I love what the Word says next. Got your Bibles open still? The Spirit speaks. Go over to that chariot. More that we'd like to know. What did that sound like? How did you know? Philip ran. Philip ran. When the angel had spoken to him, he arose and went. He obeyed. When the Spirit speaks, he runs. He still doesn't know what he's going to find at that chariot. It becomes clear to him as he goes and then hears God's Word. The light bulb starts going on. The dots start to connect. But look at that progression of faith. The faith-filled risk that Philip takes. When the why questions have not been answered, Philip's faith in God's call, his confidence in his voice, and his expectation in the Spirit's work has taught him to run. And this led me to a prayer this week that I wonder if you would also pray. Lord, help us to first learn how to walk with the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, and then teach us to run. Help us learn Your voice like sheep with our Good Shepherd. So when You call, we go. When You lead, we move. May that would be our prayer this morning. But as we pray that, Pastor John, I invite you to come and help me finish this sermon. I told him I was going to do this, so he's somewhat prepared. We get inspired when we go to these conferences of these guys uh, team teaching, team preaching. So we're going to try. You guys can give us some feedback. Oh, whoa, there's feedback. Can I, can I use this tapey yeah. stand? You use this. I'll sit down for a moment, then I'll join you. Okay. We're going to try it. We have survey cards, so you can tell us if we bum. When I was 20 years old, living uh, in New Jersey, going to uh, Naya College in Metro New York, studying to, to uh, become a pastor, um, I had a vivid God dream. Um, I had this dream where I saw my uncle come to me, and I didn't know his face because I recognized it. I knew his face because in the dream I knew it. You know, sometimes in dreams you know things. And my uncle walked over to, over to me and he handed me a, a, a lantern. And the Lord spoke from heaven audibly, carry the torch, the torch is prayer. And I woke up and in that season I'd committed to journaling. I've, I've uh, slowed down with that. I need to pick it up again. But I wrote down this dream and I looked, looked at the clock and realized I was late to my theology class. Something my professor could not stand. And so I hurry up, I get in the car, I drive from New Jersey into New York, and I get in there, and, and of course he's teaching, and he stops teaching, and he's quiet as I walk slowly to my chair. I get to the only chair, which is the middle row in the middle aisle, uh, the middle seat, and I sit down, and, I, and as I collect myself, I look at the uh, girl sitting next to me, the classmate next to me, and she had been drawing, she hadn't been paying attention to the theology teaching. She was doodling the picture of a torch. And the Lord had, you could say the Lord got my attention. And I, he wasn't calling me to run to a chariot, a chariot at that point, um, but I knew he was calling me what has become a life emphasis 
to carry this message. Incidentally, some of you have seen my dog tags and made fun of me and asked me what H&M I bought it from. Um, This is my Uncle David, who I saw in the dream, who died at the age of 19, who had a call to pastoral ministry, but his life was cut short because of a heart issue. He never got to serve. Uh, I don't know quite why and how that works in God's economy. The Lord chose to use him in my dream. I don't know if how that works. And again, Ben and I have fun talking about sovereignty and how that all works out. Um, we mess around with each other in that. I don't know how it works. All I can say is it happened. And this call to prayer became an emphasis. In a way, after that, my first ministry job was I founded a house of prayer in Metro New York. I called the Heart of David Prayer Ministry. Almost as saying to the Lord, I see what was robbed from my family, but I know who David is, a man after God's own heart. And a a cry of prayer will rise up to you from this city. That was my first ministry job. Fast forward to January 2018. Um, uh, This past January, some of you know my grandma died. Um, That was hard but good. She had suffered a lot. And I was concerned that she would just be on life support for years. And some of you know what that feels like. Um, and so in a way, I was, I was glad when she died, but I was sad. Um, my sister and I and my cousins were at her, her modest home, and she lived in rural Pennsylvania. And we went, and we were just picking up some trinkets. I picked this up uh, and things to remember her by. But I, went, I was shocked when I went to her desk, and I found this book sitting there. You probably can't see what it says. But the title of this book, I've never seen a title like this, is called The Torch is Past. This is my grandma Henry, who's David's mom, the one who uh, had died, the one who the Lord had used in the dream to communicate this calling toward prayer. And so that was January 2018. Johnny B. and I, some of you know Johnny B. and I took a fun trip to Los Angeles, California. We went to a conference, worship, and we heard teaching, and we had awesome uh, uh, food truck, Mexican stuff, and this they had this corn there they, they put mayonnaise on, and then they put cayenne pepper and Parmesan cheese. It sounds gross, but it was amazing. Um, John and I went to one of the last sessions, and this uh, African-American sister in Christ from Met, uh, New York City walked up to me, and she said, I, th- I think I have a word for you. Can I share it? I said, sure. I like those. Uh, and she said, the Lord's transitioning you, but you're resisting him. And I, I'll be honest. So here's, what I, here's what went through my mind. I didn't say this. I thought, sweet lady, at least she's trying. And I said, I said thank you. I'll pray about that. <laughs> and so uh, that was February. Uh, February, And uh, I began to ask the Lord, uh, you know, Lord, if you're transitioning me, you know I'll go, right? Like, we have that agreement. When God says go, we'll go. Um. In March, I was running on the treadmill at the Redmond Police Department. You guys know that I've been a chaplain there for, as a, to our first responders, the police and the fire. And uh, I, get, I work out with them as a way just to get to know them and out of uniform. And uh, I was praying on the treadmill, Lord, are you, are you sending us somewhere? Are you transitioning us? I was, as I was asking him that question, I'm walking to my car, and another car had parked beside me in the parking lot, and the License plate said Sayonara, which S-Y-O-N-A-R-A. You guys know what that is, right? It's the Japanese term for goodbye. Um, uh, and I, I, you know, I don't think all license plates are words from God. 
Um, but when I ask, Lord, are you sending me and calling us to say goodbye? Um, and he says, sayonara, you, you got to pay attention. And you got to also recognize he is sometimes a funny guy, right? Um, but that led us as a team as elders to process that. We prayed about that. We actually invited our field director, Randy Shaw, to come and, and sit down with us. And we just talked about the story. We've had a three-year journey together. And um, here's where we're at, and here's some things we're hearing. And, and basically, at the end, our field director said, John, I think God is calling you to something else. I think he's calling you to lead. Um, and that was hard for us. Uh, this was in, a- in April. Um, and so this is the first part of, I guess, the application. Uh, by the way, we didn't plan this sermon to line up. And, you know, preaching through the series, Ben stumbled on it, and then he had to poke me back and t- tell me that God is indeed fully sovereign. And he planned this day in advance. And I said, okay, yes, sir. I can keep a little reformed in me. Um, it's a pastor joke. If you don't get it, sorry. Um, and so um, some, of, some of the first part of this announcement has me thinking, you know, when Carl and I came, we came here for a long assignment. Um, We thought 10, 20, we thought a lot of years. But something some of you may not realize is that when we came here, I had experienced a lot of challenge. Um, I had planted a church that is still flourishing in the Charlotte area. It's a joy to visit each year and to stay in touch with that group of people, but that process really wore me out. Um, that's a long story. I worked 50 hours or so supporting the family. I prepared sermons from 10 p.m. and later, and it just got, I just got tired. And also, very suddenly and unexpectedly, my mom died. She was a part of our church. And so I, I was responsible to care for all of that process after she died. And so I didn't really think I needed any healing. Uh, at one point, when Ben and I were locking horns, as all staff and pastor, pastors do when you're passionate about serving Jesus— he said something to that effect. I think you need some healing, John. And I thought, man, a, that, that is insulting. I don't need any healing. I don't need healing. Said Carly, I don't need healing, do I? Turns out I, I have needed that. And it turns out you've been a greenhouse to me. Um, I didn't come for that. But it's something you've given me as a gift. I've gotten to rest here. Um, I've gotten to become sharpened here. That torch that I told you about the Lord handing me. When I was 20 years old, I'm 37, it's been 17 years. I think I'm, I'm running in that stronger and more deeply than I ever have, and part of that's because of you. And so um, I, I, one of my questions to you is, will you fully continue to receive your identity as a greenhouse? I think the Lord is so delighted in that identity for this body and it's been amazing to be part of that with you. So that, that led to us as a team in April to, like Philip, actually I've told my friends who are in ministry, like don't ever, like don't resign from what you're doing, even if God's calling you until you know what's next. That's not f- smart, right? Some of you guys can understand that, right? Uh, and yet here I am, uh, here I was in April. Um, really saying, and we as an elder team united saying, God's calling us to this transition. Um, we don't like that for this church. We feel like there's been some transition. We don't want to choose any of that. But, but if the great gardener is calling it, we have no other choice and no other joy than to trust him in that. And so we made that choice 
that we were going to transition. Of course, Ben and I had several weeks of back-to-back travel, so it pushed us out a month. I stand here today amazed by that timing. It was annoying at the, at the time. We were going to hurry up and rush and tell everyone. At the, when was that? The end of March, early April. Let's hurry up and tell people because we know we made the decision. And it was almost like the Lord knew we would jump to that conclusion. By, and he stopped us by giving us lots of travel that slowed us down. We've been carrying this for a few weeks. It's been hard. But I've got to tell you the next part of what happened. In that process, Carly and I began to say, Lord, we do choose to not resist your transition, but what does that mean? Are you calling me to be a lead pastor somewhere? If you are, I'm willing. I put my resume out. Lord, are you calling us to the mission field? When Carly was 15, uh, in the the north part of Seattle, North Seattle Alliance uh, Church, she received a call to the mission field. And Bobby knows when this happens, the missionaries come and preach and will give a call for anybody who senses a call to the field. And at 15, Carly responded to that call. And yet we haven't uh, participated in that call to this point, but we're open. Lord, are you calling us to the mission field somewhere internationally? We've submitted the application process to the, the alliance for that. That's Lord, um, are you calling me to be a missionary to our neighborhood? We still had a deep sense that our time and our call to this neighborhood was not finished, although we knew our time as an elder here was finished. So, Lord, are you calling us to remain? Maybe I can do tech sales. I've had people who are salespeople hear me sell something to them. And they'll say, you should sell things. Well, that would help us, help me be able to support my family in this, in this area. And maybe, I don't know, maybe I'd like it. Lord, is this the chariot you're calling us to? And so we, those questions hovered. You can imagine there was moments of challenge and anxiety. There were moments I woke up at 2 in the morning, came back to sleep. There are times of hope and saying, Lord, we know that you're in this. Well, 10 days ago, to our great surprise, he showed us what was next. That's the second part of this um, kind of communication as well. I, was, I, sat, I tried to sit down with as many of you as I could. I couldn't sit down with all of you. Ben and I have been out of town, and so it's been hard. So I, for those who are really ser- serving in a leadership capacity, um, I've had the chance to sit down just and talk through this a little in advance. Two of those people are Greg and Kathleen. Best, who were uh, longtime hosts of a prayer group I did on Friday mornings, and I started to tell them all this stuff. God's calling us, God's transitioning us, and they're asking, well, what are you going to do? So I just went through the litany of what I told you. I don't know, maybe something in tech sales and serve the Lord, and or maybe to the mission field and train people in the deeper life in prayer, maybe to a church. And Greg, Greg asked me a question. He said, John, did you, did you read my email last night? And I didn't say this, Greg, you have to punch me in the shoulder, but I thought, Greg, I never read your emails. <laughs> oh, I read your personal emails when it's right to me, but, and honestly, I don't read, if you send a, a newsletter email, I don't, it, I just don't read them. It's not, I love you. I pray for you. It's not you. It's anyone. I have, I have a long time friends who are doing great things for God. I just don't read them. The newsletters, I don't know. That's just me. No offense, Greg. I didn't read the email. Here, but he said, I just, I just, this was 12 hours before I was sitting down with him, Wednesday evening, sitting down with him now on Thursday afternoon. He said, we just sent an, out a prayer 
a note to it was a hundred or so people that support you in prayer, and we're saying, Lord, we're looking to potentially start a business in the neighborhood that's kingdom focused to serve international students, that they'd have a soft landing as they come here for a college education, um, with a mission heart in that. Or, Lord, should we invest in growing in prayer in the deeper life so that we would be see an impact for God's kingdom in our neighborhood? So almost like this, A or B, pray for us to know which way we should go. And that's kind of the essence of their, their letter, their email they sent out. He said, John, did you read that email? I said, no, I didn't read the email. He said, it sounds to me like you're, des- you're describing all of what we're looking for and what's next. And, I, and in the moment, we just began to talk. I had to run out. I had an appointment with a, a Redmond police officer. I ran out. I came back here. and or Sorry, back to Greg's house. We talked more. And officially, this past Monday, six days ago, I've accepted a role in a startup with Greg locally with a kingdom-focused business to serve purposes to help international students to receive soft landings while training in the deeper life and prayer. So the second part of this announcement is that while... I'll be transitioning out of my elder and pastor role in this community. I'm not transitioning out of a brother and friend role to you. And so maybe another way to say that is you're you're not going to get us out of here that quickly. We're excited about this. We were as surprised as anyone else. This was never on our radar. But a a deep conviction Carly had through the process. In fact, I want to invite the worship team up because time's ticking. You guys come forward. That always hurries me up a little bit. I'm finishing. Um, Carly had had some deep conviction that our time in the neighborhood is not over. Um, and so we're like, Lord, how could our time in the church be over as elder, as an elder, as a pastor, be over? And yet not in the neighborhood. It doesn't make any sense. And it didn't make sense until six days ago. And so we're surprised. We're shocked. We're excited. Carly's going to continue in her role uh, at Emily Dickinson Elementary in the office. I'm going to continue uh, serving our city as a chaplain to police and fire. Um, and we're going to continue to be in the general area, in the neighborhood. We don't know where we'll live. We're going to figure that out over the next month or so. Um, and I can tell you that both Ben and Craig have been incredibly generous through the process because they can see God in this, and so can we, though we don't know, we haven't known what that end, and we know more about that now. And so, a couple of questions I have for you. First of all, Ben will say this in a minute, but today is not our send-off. We'll, you'll still, we'll still be around. We're going to do something uh, in, this, in the, the coming weeks, so we're not going to do prayer time today. But I want to ask you, if you would step with us in faith, I want to wonder if, if even though this is challenging, would you own your identity as a greenhouse in this? We'd be so honored as a family. And I think there's a sense in which we need your faith. We need your prayer. I don't know if we can do this without you behind us. And I'm wondering if for the next few weeks you'd pray about that. If you would hear the call with us. And so, Pastor Ben, would you come? Thanks, John. I don't know how much more we'll get to tag team sermons here, but thank you for helping finish this sermon by being a living example for us of stepping in faith with uncertainty after discerning God's voice. That took weeks. That took prayer. That took seeing all these signs and going, Lord, is it you? Is it you? 
It's a process for someone that's centered their life around that and is still learning that. So thank you for living that for us. This prayer has been behind you the whole time that I think God brought to me to pray and that I'm inviting us to pray. And maybe you have been as you've, as you've been listening to John's testimony. So even as we pray now and lead into our response, uh, can leave that, up, leave that prayer up there and we'll pray that prayer. As we come to the table, as we sing songs of praise, as we interact with what it means to hear God's voice, to respond, to step in faith, as we celebrate, God is making a greenhouse and is still making a greenhouse here. A vision that I think has been decades long, we're just using that language now, but he continues to grow and to send his people to the ends of the earth. The harvest is in the fields. We believe some of the harvest of that hundredfold harvest is in you guys and through you, wherever the extended field is, whether it's here in this area or it's to the ends of the earth. And so would you just... Lean into that for you, too, as you lean into that with the Tracy family. I'm not specifically praying for them in the sending. I'm not giving you a hug. I'm not doing any of that yet. We're not there yet. (laughs) We're not there yet, okay? For now, we're giving thanks to God who speaks, who calls, and leads. So let's pray something like this. You can bow your heads. You can keep your eyes open. Lord Jesus, help us to first learn how to walk with the Spirit. Keep us in step with the Spirit. Teach us to run Help us learn your voice like sheep with our good shepherd. So when you call, we go. When you lead, we move. Thank you, Jesus. Let's respond. If you're new to our community, we we respond with communion every week because we're told to do this in remembrance and we are so quick to forget. So we come to the table to remember what Christ has done. There's tables in the back too. So if you're a follower of Jesus, at any point as we sing these few songs, you're welcome to come to the table to be reminded of what Christ has done, to proclaim his promise of what he's yet to do, and to ultimately commune one with another as we break bread together, as we sing together. We have a chance to give. Ushers will come and pass these bags. That's a privilege for those that have called this church home or God has called them to this church home to give generously to the work here to our neighborhoods and to the ends of the earth. And if you are new with our community, please don't give unless God's saying you're supposed to give something. But this is our privilege. It's a response to what God has done in us. We'd love to have a card from you that we could say hello uh, sometime this week and connect with you in that way. If you need prayer for anything, John's here. Ministry of Prayer continues as he's carrying that torch. Uh, Can you leave that book up here too as people come to the table to see it more clearly and be reminded that ultimately we're all under that same call. To carry, to carry on the mission, to carry on the work that the early disciples, the early church began. We carry that inheritance and that call. So let's respond as God leads in any of these ways to his glory and to our joy. Team, lead us.